Welcome to the Inclusive Education Project. I'm Vicki Brett. I'm Amanda Salohi. We're two civil rights lawyers on a mission to change the conversation about education, civil rights, and modern activism. Each week, we're going to explore new topics which are going to educate and empower others and give them a platform to enact change in education and level the playing field. We're outside, so we apologize if it's going to be a little bit noisy, but this is as good as it can get. It's, what, 80 degrees outside? It's about. It's a beautiful Southern California day, afternoon, on location today, somewhat. (laughs) Anyway, I'm just going to very briefly introduce our guest, Javier. He's going to tell you a little bit about why he's on the podcast. We just heard a presentation, and we are so excited to have him on. Javier, why don't you tell everybody a little bit about COGX? Sure. Thank you. And I don't know what the exact temperature is here, but <laughs> 75 degrees in California is better than 75 degrees anywhere else. Uh, that's true. That's just something that's that in is the true. air. I'm happy to be here with you guys. And my name is Javier. I'm the founder and executive director of COGX. We're based in D.C., but not for long. I think we'll come to California <laughs> soon. Does COGX have a, is it an acronym for something or is it just what it is? Good question that no one has asked me and it actually is. Yes. Yeah. It started off as Cognitive Excellence and got reduced to COGX. I don't even think employees at COGX know that. That's so, so funny. Yes. So that's what it stands for. And we are a research and development firm in applied cognitive science that emerged out of my failures learning in the academic system and being bounced around private, public, and different countries until at the age of 13, I was diagnosed as mildly retarded. They didn't think that I would find out that label is what they classified me at as, but I did. And once I understood that, then I gave up on learning. And of course, you know, I misbehaved and rebelled and broke the all-time record for detention at a private and kind of prestigious school in D.C. I broke the four-year record in one year. I had to go back for detention on weekends because they couldn't fit the punishment that I deserved during the week. And this private prestigious school was like in the middle of a crack neighborhood in D.C. in the uh, late 80s, which is kind of at the epicenter of, of the epidemic. And then I convinced my parents to allow me to go to the public school so that I didn't have to be the janitor, which is how I was paying for that school. So I was paying as a janitor to be in detention, to be failing, to be told I was mildly retarded. And then the public school, I realized that you didn't really have to go to class. And nobody really caught you because there's so many people. Mm -hmm. So I just had the best time ever. It was like a two-year party of learning nothing. And... I was so insecure about my inability to learn. I was confident I couldn't, so I didn't show up for the SAT. And then I lied to my mom and I told her that everything was going to be okay. (laughs) And I think she caught my bluff because she enrolled me at a community college. And then I dropped out of that with a 1.6 GPA after one semester. And then I was just reading psychology books and delivering Domino's pizza and bagging groceries at the supermarket. And depressed, to be honest, because I didn't think I had any future. And I got that reinforced indirectly through the educational system. So early on. Very early. So at this point, out of pure fear, I went back to school and eventually got scholarships to go to Yale and Harvard and studied cognitive science as a graduate fellow at MIT. And at this point, I was really upset because somebody stole a decade from my life because of whatever it was. And I was also impassioned with learning, but I was most importantly interested in understanding why schooling destroys learning and why 
we weren't applying the latest scientific research on brain science to how we teach students. More importantly, how can you have teachers that have never studied human learning teaching a human? I mean, would you have a doctor that hasn't gone to medical school or taken a biology class working with your right. body? Exactly. But we allow it with our kids. So we're in the dark ages in terms of how we operate as a system. And I thought, you know, maybe there's something that can be done to be more innovative here. So we realized that, you know, every industry is going through a period of customization, personalization. The industrialization process led to the mass market standardization process of schools, which we've never, ever, ever left or abandoned. And I think at the core, I do think educators that are in the system, especially in public schools, they know that if they succeed and thrive in their field, they're doing a disservice to the students. And I've spoken to enough to know that that's true. But they can't change the system, and they probably have responsibilities of their own. So they, they become have to... a cog in that system right. because they don't think that there's any other way. Exactly. So it's not like a special education teacher can choose to do the right thing. They can choose to not have a job, perhaps, which is scary. So they're not bad people in the system. They're good people trapped in a bad system. Absolutely. I mean, that's something we say all the time. It's so often the system itself that's the problem. You know, there's some good laws, there's some bad laws, but it's so much structure on, you know, doing things a certain way. You know, the same thing, cookie cutter for every kid, and that's... Not how we do a lot of the rest of everything else we do. Not everyone has the same house. Not everyone has the same clothes, same size clothes, same size shoes, right? Everyone is different. We do, you know, we don't require everyone to wear the same shoes, right? But in learning, we think that we have to do it the same cookie cutter way. I think one of the things that really stood out to me, obviously, you describing your childhood, that is our client, right? And I'm sure a lot of the moms that are listening right now is like, oh, my God, there's hope, right? That my child does like to learn. They pick up that history book and they want to learn about the Civil War, but they're just not engaged in school because of their executive functioning deficits or whatever. And there's like three clients that are in my mind right now that I'm just like, Javier, talk to these boys, (laughs) like, you know, give them hope. But one of the first times that I knew what type of learner I was on a very just rudimentary level was coming to law school. One of the academic advisors was like, okay, take this online test and see what kind of, you know, are you a visual learner? Are you auditory? And that was the first time that I had really understood like, oh, how do I learn? To me, which blew my mind. I was like, this exists? Like, and it's a very rudimentary level, but that's kind of what I surmise when you were speaking about the intensive data and research that your company did even before they got clients you had expressed. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And if you think about the consequences of poor schooling on on a student, they break my heart because every student is born with a jagged profile and they're born thirsty to learn. And jagged profile means that you have peaks and you have valleys in your cognitive profile. And we know that cognition drives learning. We all need and rely on our cognitive skills in order to process the information. And processing the information is a prerequisite to making sense of any information that we're exposed to. And ideally, we can store it, retrieve it, make sense of it, discern between information that's good and bad, and then think critically and then hopefully innovate on top of what we heard. But we have to build a mountain of knowledge in order to create anything. Otherwise, you know, you could say something that's novel, but it makes no sense. So you have to identify a gap, and you usually do that by understanding needs and by also having a deep level of understanding across multiple domains. So knowledge is your friend, but then your enemy is anything that gets in the way of learning or even wanting to learn. And the school system, the way it's designed, it's we realize you have peaks and valleys, but we succeed without them. 
So we need to crush your peaks, which is really what your success rests on. So any little quirk that you have that makes you gifted because you were nurtured or because you were born with that gift, it's a liability to a standardized system. And then the valley is also a liability to the standardized system, which is why we have an IEP and a 504. But is it the best we can do is my question. And in that sense, you know, I don't think it is. I think it, the resources deployed to it for a 12-year life cycle in school are extensive and they're inadequate. And there's better things that you can do that are more targeted, that are not limited to few of the same accommodations, and that are more intense and shorter in duration and less expensive to the parent or to the actual state. If you think about a targeted intervention that's customized, it's much better than putting you on, hey, we have three flavors. If you can't do vanilla, we'll give you chocolate. But we don't even know if you care for chocolate. It doesn't, you know, we need to look at all of the ingredients that are going into any intervention. But the point I wanted to make is that the peaks that are chopped are the peaks that drive human excellence. And those things that you know I'm impassioned about, I don't need to be 99th percentile on everything. I just need something that I latch onto and then just go hard at. And if you pursue fulfillment, you get to excellence. And part of the system has taught us forever is that standardization is the way to excellence and then you will be fulfilled. But it doesn't work that way. It's actually the other way around. Yeah, I think yeah. Pink Floyd put it best, another brick in the wall. And right. <laughs> I've said that. on this podcast before, but it just yeah. perfectly just surmises exactly how Amanda and I fit into that system as well. Because I'm sure that a lot of teachers or administrators that are listening, they're just like, well, Javier, like, this is the system. Like, what do you want us to do? And because it sounds so radical, but it's something that we have talked about in wanting to find those people that are able to show we just need to tweak some things and we just need to start thinking in a different way but it almost what I'm trying to say at the end of the day is how do we help make the system better or do we just throw that system out entirely that's a good point that defenders of the system would say it's so easy to be outside of it to criticize it and to bash it but you're providing no solutions for it and that's not true I think that You can have enormous gains by tweaking the system. And in fact, the world's most watched TED Talk was given in 2006 by Ken Robinson. And it's called Why Schools Kill Creativity. And just about every human being at this point has watched it if they have a computer and realize that, you know, you can watch a talk through it. Yeah. So <laughs> that is an example of bashing the system. and not providing a single solution. So why is it the world's most watched TED Talk? Because Ken Robinson was able to articulate a problem that resonates with all of humanity. And he didn't provide a single solution. He just basically was able to say something better than we could have about the problem itself. So there is consensus that we have a problem. Now, you don't need to scrap it. I think we're still going to have standards to a certain degree. But you look at countries like Finland where they're at the top of the ladder. It's the wrong ladder to be on in terms of measuring academic performance. And we can talk about that. But they're at the top and they're kicking the ladder. They're saying this is not the right place. And so is Singapore. And so is Korea. They have huge problems. So succeeding in the current standards is not success by the own systems that have succeeded. They know it, that we're pursuing the wrong thing. And the very basic things that we could do is... Start off by understanding every student's cognitive profile. We have within reach the ability to understand and measure cognition in a semi-clinical way. It's still not very sophisticated, but we can help us segment students by cognition rather than by biological age. You know, a seven-year-old could have the cognitive profile of a 12-year-old. Why is he next to a seven-year-old that has a cognitive profile yeah. of a five-year-old? Well, we always get when kids, you know, got... 
those we would call them like prodigies or geniuses right that end up going to college at age like 12 right. and everyone thinks oh that's so crazy like is that appropriate for the kid and it's like well yeah appropriately to challenge them yeah it has Correct, to be yeah. but why does a 12 year old have to go to college be in an environment with 20 year olds right. that maybe socially isn't appropriate but that's the only way to stimulate them academically and challenge them in a way that you know the k-12 system doesn't so i think that's a great way to look at it that we need to really be looking at it from a different perspective right and then we could if we segment students differently and understand them in the right kind of categories per se of what learning support they need you would then get to a point where you realize, hey, visualization is an important component of storage. Storage is an important component of retrieval. They're components of memory. Memory is a component of knowledge. I want my kids to be knowledge factories. I want them to understand and accumulate knowledge. So I want kids that don't visualize well, I want them to be able to visualize. Why don't we teach this cohort of kid visualization techniques? And then you start nudging in the right direction. And I bet you would have very few dissatisfied parents if schools pursued the development of independent lifelong learning as a priority in the system. Right now, we don't even measure it. We don't even give them teachers that have learned the science of learning. Right. And we oftentimes, the premise of the federal law that we deal with, the IDEA, is so that children start in the least restrictive environment. And that means in the general education setting with typical peers. But if you have a general education teacher that has... 35 kids, six of those kids have six different disabilities, and they've never even taken, you know, a 10-week special education class. They have, like, no idea, like, where to even start. And, And the same with just not even understanding that all 36 of those kids learn in a different way. And I think something that you had said during the presentation about wanting our children to think critically and then communicate effectively, I think is super important and oftentimes missed with our twice exceptional kiddos that they appear as if they don't have a disability and they can communicate to you, you know, what they're feeling, but there's no critical thinking behind the impulsivities that they have at times that is caused by the boredom or whatever symptom, you right. know, that inattentional issues or whatnot, um, which you hit on as well. Exactly. But I think that, I don't know where I was going with that, but that's my thought. <laughs> yeah, but there are things that you can measure, calibrate, yeah. enhance, and we have now all of the tools to do this. Like, we have the knowledge. So, you know, what researchers say is that in the last 20 years of research on the human brain and learning, we've learned more than in all of human history combined. And how much has the way in which we educate teachers changed or provide them the right tools to succeed? Very little. So yeah, that's the missing opportunity that COGX is trying to fill. That's exactly what we do. Yeah. Well, and I think if, you know, we're looking, we have a lot of educators and administrators that listen to the pod too. And, you know, from the perspective of, okay, we need to change the system. We all know that it's going to take time. It's going to take a lot of work. You know, if it's teacher or even a parent or someone is listening and thinking like, you know, what would be something that could help change their perspective? Like we talk about, you know, don't be so rigid and make it like, well, I do it this way, so everyone has to do it that way. That's obviously, you know, one way to, to think about it, trying to be more flexible. But, you know, would you have any kind of guidance or advice of, you know, while we're in the background changing the system and helping, you know, kids get programs like COGX, what's something that, like, teachers that are in the field in the trenches right now could kind of benefit Good from? Good question. I, if you're a manager of teachers, a leader in, in the system, or an actual teacher working with students, I think the best service you could do is enroll your staff and yourself, possibly. 
in programs that help you understand how your students learn and give you strategies and techniques to apply to your teaching so that you have a broader set of tools to help students based on their profile and on their needs. There's just so much out there that is not being used to help educators succeed at their role of supporting diverse learners. The underlying assumption is that we're all diverse learners. We all learn differently. We're wired to learn, so the system shouldn't crush my desire to learn. It should actually foster and develop it. And there's so much more than what we are using at the moment that it's a shame. We have tools that are not used. So I would say definitely enroll your staff in professional development that is geared at the science of learning. We can help do research. We're hoping to be among the top that are chosen in that category. But the other problem on the spectrum is that there's a lot of bad PD out there, a ton of bad PD. So choose your PD carefully. I mean, it's better to not eat than to eat the wrong food at times. Yeah, <laughs> and, and you hit on that several times. And I know that that's probably what some of our audience is just like, okay, well, like, what are you saying? Like enrolling COGX, you know, and, and that's not, if you were listening, what he was saying with personal development, there's so many things. And what Amanda and I try to do with all the different types of agencies and people that we come across is to just give you that exposure, right? And Javier did kind of hit on it during the presentation. There are a lot of people that purport to be doing things that will completely change a child and results for lifetime and things like that. And we know that. And that's why we want to expose you to different people. And one of the things that COGX has kind of gone through the ringer was with the federal government backing you. Can you tell the audience a little bit more about that? Of the, our involvement? The government kind of you going through the obstacles that they put on for yeah, their certification so and funding. What we've done is we realize that there are so many gimmicky players in this space, which is really unfortunate. It is, because I think there are just other industries that are more suitable for fraud than helping kids. I just think you have to be a terrible person to be making false claims, and there are plenty of those. And in fact, I'm happy to see that the government has actually come down hard and identified some players that do that. And there were federal lawsuits from the Federal Trade Commission against Learning RX for doing this. And rightly so. And the way they operate, they deserve that. They're still pretending like it didn't happen. And Lumosity, also an online player, had same issue. Federal Trade Commission sued them, rightly so. I think that there should be twice as much scrutiny in this space as in any other, because you can't take a student's hope and sell on that to a parent that's willing to do anything for their kids. That's just disgusting, and, and there's too much of it out there. So knowing this, we said, how do we reverse engineer our process to always represent the student's best interest? And secondly, how can we prove to people that that's how we operate? So we sought the worst possible scrutiny from the government. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> After knowing that the government is actually in the business of suing players in our space, we said, please come on in. And they evaluated us and they actually funded us. And they said, we'd like to see this grow. And that to us was very important. And then we went and did the same thing with academics in our space. And we said, listen, we've been using your research. We want your seal of approval. And if we're misusing it, we want you to call us out on it. So we've reached out to academics and built partnerships that way along the way. And same with neuropsychs and doctors. And we've partnered with colleges who acknowledge that this is a huge gap. And they've scrutinized our methods as much as they can. And we love that. That's how it should be. Yeah. 
That's so important. It's, it's great that, you know, you're going out there. A, I agree. There's a lot of companies out there that do their thing. And, you know, where a school district would come from it is, well, you know, the losses we have to have, like evidence-based, research-based programs and all of that. And, you know, we see a lot of programs out there that people say, oh, yeah, yeah like there's a study behind this. But, you know, there's so much criticism out there for everything, yeah, you know, especially with social media and online. You're always going to get someone that's yeah. going to criticize but it's important, I think, that you didn't wait for someone to, you know, come and criticize. Right. You wanted to make sure that you were doing the best program for these kids because it is important. I mean, we think about all the things that kids suffer, the, you know, dealing with the school to prison pipeline and homelessness and our foster youth. Yeah. And, you know, the majority of kids who get into trouble or have trouble in their homes or whatnot a lot of times like school should be the thing that should be lifting them up giving them that hope that whatever the situation that they're dealing with now they can get out of it right that they can have a life that they can be whoever they want to be right we have parents that tell their kids that and if we're taking that away how do we expect them to function in society how do we function them to not get into trouble to not you know go and join gangs or do drugs like we preach don't do this don't do this but then we're not giving them an outlet to be who they are i think yeah. that's that's, I think there's no coincidence in the fact that lots of students that have language processing disorder, dyslexia, which is 20% of kids in school, that's just like 17 million kids, that, I think the math is right on that, but it could be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I did sleep yesterday, so there's no excuse if I didn't get that number right. But if the number of kids, it is one in five, and you realize that juvenile detention centers are filled with kids that are probably twice exceptional, but they're definitely... More than two-thirds are dyslexic kids that were not properly addressed. Drug and alcohol abuse, I think it's higher than two and three. I think it's more like four out of five. And at the same time, you have half of NASA is kids with dyslexia. MIT, they call it dyslexia disease. So why is such a gift something that doesn't lead more to NASA and MIT or successful entrepreneurs that are dyslexic? Why is the risk so high? And I think it's because of what you were saying a second ago that if school is a place that I go to for constant reminders of things that I cannot do and the many ways in which I can fail, then the default for me is to misbehave in order to escape failure and be in an environment where I can control the outcome. So that usually leads to risky behavior, to misbehavior, to delinquent behavior. And it's it makes sense. It's unfortunate, but it makes sense. So there's a lot, I think, here at risk, right, for kids that aren't properly served when they have learning differences. And many times those learning differences are the very source of the gift that will propel us as right. human beings because they tend to invent things. They see things outside of the box. They connect dots exactly. that we don't connect. Yep. So these kids that are sometimes operating at the lowest common denominator are the ones with gifts that could elevate society as a whole. And they just need that one person to show them the way to do things because I think it's like Bill Gates. It was like he dropped out of high school or whatever at 16, but it was like if he hadn't have done that, he wouldn't have been in his garage working on the computer, like doing what he needed to be doing so that by the time that, you know, the opportunity came for him to just jump right in and start doing all this stuff, it would have never happened if he would have just kept going the way that he was going. And so much of the American dream, right? And I remember it was like, okay, you're going to go to high school. You're going to take all these AP classes and then you're going to get into the university, your number one choice, and then you're going to be so happy. And it's just like, that's not 
reality. Like I didn't get into my number one school and everything happened the way it was supposed to do. But just that cookie cutter thing just does not work for a majority of the kids that we come across. And that I think we know just growing up, just like of those people that were so smart. And you're like, what are you doing? And they went to coping mechanisms of drugs and alcohol. And, you know, they come from families that may be broken, maybe not. And you're just like, what happened? You know, and uh, it's so sad. But, yeah, that's what we do, what we do. Kids that come from uh, successful backgrounds in standardized environments can also, at times, succeed in the real world. Like, once you're out of that factory, that doesn't mean you won't perform. You could be one of those exceptional people that can perform in a standardized learning environment, can do tests really well, and then in real life also do incredible things. The problem is when there are kids that can do incredible things and cannot do it in a standardized environment. And a lot of incredible things don't come from standardized environments. So when you think about all innovations, they rarely come from experts. They come from people that see things through a different lens. They bring expertise in a different field, but we rarely innovate from the same field. So I think that's important to note. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think when we look at children, you know, even as young as Vicky's little baby, we look at them and we see their quirks, we see their personalities. And, you know, I think when kids are really young, it's like, oh, they're going to be really good at this. They're going to be really good at that. But then once they get into school, it becomes the, oh, they're really good at math. They're really good at English. And it's like we need to foster that whatever the ideas that like we thought they have these talents when they're little because you know all of them are are just so different just like everyone and we you know I think we lose sight of that the minute they enter kindergarten because the standards then become that cookie cutter but we definitely could like talk about this for hours and hours and hours I think your philosophy on the problem and kind of where to go from here we love we so in tune with that if someone wanted to get in touch with you either to learn about COGX or just to pick your brain how could they do that thank you so you can write to me at Javier J-A-V-I-E-R at cogx.info or visit our website and just contact us that way. It's cogx.info is our website. And I'd be happy to speak to anyone on this topic in an engaging way. Thank you both. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on to our little podcast. Hopefully that was super insightful. We're probably going to talk to Javier more off recording or maybe we'll do a part two. I'm just kidding. He's a very busy man. So thank you so much for coming on thank our you. podcast and we'll talk to you guys next week. Bye. Bye.